This is Dr. Adrian Ruiz of the Adrian Ruiz Quintet, and you're listening in to the Texas Music Spotlight. Welcome to the Texas Music Spotlight Podcast, supporting artists and musicians from the great state of Texas. And now, here's your host, Julian. Hey everybody, this is Julian with the Texas Music Spotlight and welcome to another edition of TMS Musicals. Today on the podcast we have Dr. Adrian Ruiz with the Adrian Ruiz Quintet. He's got a new CD out called Premiere, a collection of originals. And uh, he's got a doctorate in musical arts and jazz trumpet performance. So we get to talk to him just later on. Uh, but I do want to talk to our listeners from the Houston area and all along the Texas coastline. Our thoughts are with you because today is August 27th and I know the... You guys out there have just been hit by uh, Hurricane Harvey, and our thoughts are with you guys as you guys begin the recovery process, and we hope everybody is okay. A speedy recovery to you guys in, in, in building your towns back up again in neighborhoods. Uh, our thoughts are with you guys. Uh, so again, here we are with Dr. Adrian Ruiz. It's a podcast. I'm going to make it short. Be sure to like us. Be sure to share this. Like us on Facebook. Poke us. Do whatever you want. Most importantly, be sure to leave a review and leave us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast format. Uh, so I'm going to shut up and we'll get to the podcast with Dr. Adrian Ruiz. Uh, you're going to hear a little bit of his song. I'm going to copy my son's format. You're going to hear a little bit of a song here called Cancion para mi amor. And at the very end, you'll hear a full, a full song after the interview, which is called Elvinism. So be sure to check that out. Go to his website uh, and buy the CD. It's a great CD. There's more information about that on the podcast. So thank you guys for listening. And here's Dr. Adrian Ruiz. I just want to get. I like to know the the history of where everybody started, and I'm surprised yeah. that a lot of them start off the same way. How did you first get introduced to music? I mean, did your family play? Did you? Well, I I did have musicians in the family on my mom's side. I was raised by my grandparents, but you know, I had uncles, you know, that were into the conjunto thing. You know, a lot of, you know, they weren't formally trained or anything like that. Right. But I had a great uncle, my man, my. My Theo Osmo, my grandmother's brother, man, he had a, some sort of accident where he basically had three fingers missing from his right hand or from his, yeah, from his right hand, uh-huh. you know, but it didn't hinder him from playing accordion. It didn't hinder him from, you know, I guess you don't need very much for to, to pick, to, yeah. to pick. But, you know, he also did some incredible finger style stuff <laughs> with just two, you know, his thumb and his index finger, but wow. I remember, you know, again, when I was knee-high to a tadpole, you know, there'd be family gatherings, and... How, know, how old were you when you gosh, first... Gosh, probably... Do you remember? You know, those memories, I was probably maybe in elementary school, early elementary school, five, six years old, but, you know, I guess a little, you know, 
further back than that, you know, banging, you know, the pots and pans, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. just to the music because, you know, it was all the conjunto and norteño and, you know, like. Uh, so when you saw your uncle, did you, did you, did it spark in your head like, oh, I want to do that? Or not, like, it was well, just a cool thing. It, yeah, it was just, you know, it was like, wow. You know, I mean, it's just a, a fascination. Um, but again, you know, just being sort of familiar with that kind of sound without even being able to define or codify what it was it's like that's what i hear on the radio you know on right. kada right which was you know i just heard spanish music pretty much exclusively for the first few years of of you know in elementary school and then in the middle school i didn't hear my first english tune until i was like in <laughs> sixth grade man you really? know k-i-t-y man 90 92.9 man it was uh that tune you're my everything by santa maria uh-huh you're my everything right right anyway but but yeah you know it was just uh, all you know spanish radio and then you know the the conjunto the norteño and i know you steve you and steve roth were talking about it but la onda right is what they, music yeah what they like called that. yeah and you yeah. described it as chicano music but you know whether it was a latin bria whether it was a little joe right. early ruben ramos i and, love jimmy edward yeah man. i used to listen to my mom's old jimmy edward right records. like oh my god who's this guy singing? yeah solo jimmy edward too <laughs> right. and then you know the sunliners and all that stuff but yeah, that's what I. That's the first stuff that I so got. So did you? Turned on did to. you get in, intrigued? Like you started playing with pots and pans, you know, like most people. I did too. Yeah, and my my dad would set up the pots and pans, and I didn't know what yeah. I was doing. But did you find yourself like I look back now? Uh, I think back when I was a kid, I was like, man, I used to I used to keep beats. I used to tap my and I still do that. I tap my fingers to rhythms and stuff like that. Right. And and and, and even thinking back to when I was a child, I used to hear harmonies in my head, but I didn't know what they were. Right. I, I don't think I was quite that advanced. It was just more random. But I think when it started to get a little more organized in my head and the true fascination came in was probably when I was around in fourth grade because, you know, this one friend that I grew up with, two years older than I was, he ended up joining the band program in sixth grade. And right. His older cousin, Jesse Rubio, man, you might have probably even played with him at some point during your development, you know, mm-hmm. early on in, in your career. Because I know you're a few years older than I am. Uh, not that much older. Well, no, not of course not. You know, <laughs> I think you graduated like in 1988, right? It's exactly. Yeah, right. See, yeah. I remember because you know all the competitions. I remember seeing you. You know, you you had you already had whether you realized it or not, you already had quite the reputation as a bass player when we were in high school. You oh, know, shit. I mean, no, I did not. Yeah, you know, of course, man. You know, I, there were a lot of great musicians at Jeff yeah, at the time that, that you were there, yeah. and you know, I was at Burbank for a couple of years, uh, Brack for a couple of years, but you know, I graduated in '90, but I've been seen. The jazz bands that you guys had had and all that. Anyway, I, I digress. Right, right. Fourth um, grade. You're, but you're, yeah, fourth you're grade. Yeah, you know. But you know, he he lived close enough down the street that you know, I just heard this sound that I what did he gravitated play? toward it. It was a trumpet player. So and then again, you know, my buddy, you know, uh, like I said, was two years older than I was. Sixth grader, starting band at Harris Middle School. You know, he started to become quite good himself, and I was like, man, I think this is really what I want to do. Trumpet, of course, I could. Yeah, I couldn't do it right away, obviously, because I was two years behind him. But man, by the time sixth grade came around, you know, just like a lot of other people, you know, I enrolled in in band, and you know, the band director at the time, you know, just like anybody else, gives three choices as far as what you'd like to play, and number one, two, and three were trumpet. I had no choice, Adrian. Wow, I, I so wanted to be a tr- trumpet player. Wow, when I was in middle school. I said I want to play trumpet, and I guess the director said, "Well, you're." I was a big guy, you know. Yeah. I was always a big guy. Oh, you're playing. We need baritone players. You're playing baritone. Yeah. 
All right, play baritone and ended up playing two ball through high school. Yeah, but see, I want I wanted to be a trumpet player. Yeah, too. and I knew you as as such. But man, I mean, if it wasn't for that experience, I don't I don't know. I mean, this so is this, just, this, an outsider looking in. You wouldn't be the great bass player that you developed to be. You know? It, yeah, I mean, it, everything fell into place for for whatever reason it did. Yeah. But trumpet is because of this guy. That's what you want to play. Yeah, exactly. You know, that was that was a deal. You know, it was again my my friend who was a couple of years older than me, but. Again, his more experienced cousin, you know, who was a standout at, at Burbank High School and, you know, did some great things locally. You know, he had a stint with Sonny and the Sunliners and, you know, played with a lot of... I think he also had some short stints with Jimmy Edward. I right, mean, you know, right. I mean, you know, those bands attract a lot of horn players over the years and stuff like that. So, so. who was your director at... at Har- you went to Harris? Yes. So, Gilbert Segura was my band director there. And that's... Well, where else did he teach? He also, after he left Harris... He did high school for a brief bit. Yeah. He was at Burbank High School right, as right, an right, assistant right. over there under Victor Lozano for a little while. Okay. Yeah. So talking about your first time picking up a trumpet, I mean, this is, is it, you know. Well, <laughs> you know, the whole fascination, right, about, you know, here it is, you know, I selected the instrument I wanted to play. It's like, all right, we'll go to so-and-so store to get, you know, uh, the instrument in Dakbird Music Plaza. I don't yeah. remember Dakbird yeah. on Nogalitos, you know, and. My grandmother ended up getting me, you know, renting me a Bundy trumpet, man. And, you know, I opened that thing and then, you know, the smell of the yeah. fresh lacquer and, you know, the valve oil oh, and, the, you know, the, 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 case the, yeah, the slide grease, oh. that sweet smell. But I was like, wow, man. And But, yeah, I was like, <laughs> of course, you know, a lot of batall- puro batallando yeah. with all the neighbors, you know, be quiet. Right, right, right. And my grandmother, you know, that's too early to be doing that. and. <laughs> But then after, you know, I mean, that's the way that it starts, right? What about, yeah. your, what about your first time on stage as a middle school? Oh, man, 1984, man, the spring concert. Or no, no, I'm sorry, 1983, the Christmas concert, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you remember the nerves? I always school, talk about this, yeah, no. the first time on stage. It's, yeah. always, it's something that you, you can never get back. It's always just that one moment, which is why when I taught, I love seeing the kids or even adults first time recital. Because I'll never get that moment again. Yeah. And to watch them go through I mean, that. think about it, right? You know, just like when a baby is born, their first year of development, you know, that's the most serious developmental phase right. in growth. And same thing with the beginning musician, whether they're playing a band instrument or an orchestral instrument, you know, uh, it's just that first year of development, man. And, and, you know, how much, you know, again, in retrospect, thinking about it, it's like, man, you know. It may seem very basic and fundamental, not like much growth, but man, you know, from starting from scratch, not right. knowing anything, and then getting an, introduced to a whole different language on right. top of everything else, yeah, and developing what it is it's all these motor language. skills. But yeah, you know, remember the Christmas concert, man? It was like, <laughs> you know, just nerves rattling and, and stuff it's all like, quarter notes. But oh, well, my yeah, quarter notes. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, right. It's like, man, am I going to nail this? I practice that part over and over. F is that first valve? Oh man, the key signature and. All these, you know, things, it was, but, you know, it's just this, you know, joyful feeling of, you know, just the reward about, you know, just the nurturing nature. And I had great band directors, man. Right. And, you know, that's, I wouldn't that's be. That's the way I feel about yeah, my directors, I wouldn't too. be doing what I'm doing now, you know, because the fact that my band directors, at least all the high, you know, middle school, high school, mm-hmm. they performed. They were active performers outside right. as well. You know, I mean. Mr. Segura was a really accomplished keyboard player as well. I mean, he was a saxophone player principally, but 
And a lot of the bands that he was involved in, he was playing a lot of keyboards. And he played a lot of piano for us, man, when we were in middle school. And that was, you know, just the inspiration, the gateway to, you know, it's like, man, I I think that, you know, I don't know if I'm old enough to even really realize what I want to do, but I felt like there was some sort of awareness, like, this is what I want to do. Yeah, looking back, I mean, that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on. And later on today, I actually have Roland Sondheim. Yeah, I saw that. From Mm O'Connor. He's uh, also an SISD product, you know, Edison, right. Edison, Edison High School, school graduate, right. yeah. And I knew him from, I actually played with him in a band in 89, 90s, somewhere Infinity? So, yeah, Infinity. Yeah, see. So, and, and one of the reasons I want to have you and, and him as well was because just to, to show the people that so many musicians get introduced to music through the band program mm-hmm. and how important that is because my director in middle school, Mr. Hernandez, and of course, uh, Mr. Rosales in high school. Yeah. Rosales was amazing. Great was, trumpet player, too. He was hard. Right. I mean, he was, I love him. Uh, he was hard on you, but you knew why. Yeah, that's the, you, the, the old guard. if you didn't guard. get it, right. And yeah. if you didn't get it, you were going to be caught in that, sure. <laughs> you know, his mm-hmm. wrath. Mm-hmm. But I remember him, you know, yelling at people with coffee and a cigarette in his mouth, and, and he was just, why don't you get this right? You know, but right. that was his style of, of getting, which is why we had a great band program in high school. Yeah. You know, because mm-hmm. of that style of, of of teaching but right i loved it i mean and i know he passed away some years ago and i and i, I uh, went to his funeral and i was just uh, even then you don't you're in high school you don't realize what kind of impact you're going to have and many of the people in high school don't go on to, to pursue music right but there's a select few that do sure and you appreciate the band director which is why i wanted to get you because you also teach as well right so going back to middle school going into high school you went to what high school Oh, see, I did Burbank, my right? I did my first two years at Burbank, but again, you know, Ken Turner, you know, Nancy Clayton, that that old guard, that old style of band directing. I remember, man, my freshman year, we were in the band hall, and you know, you just talk about like this level of talent, and you know, just crack the whip type mm-hmm. of mentality. You know, um, he just like cold picked up a trombone. We were doing this one march called the Trombone Rag, and the yeah. guy he hadn't even warmed up. He was a trombone player. He was like, this is how it goes. He just picked up that trombone and just stylized like nobody's business. But, you know, it's those little things that you remember. It's like, man, I want to sound like that on my trumpet, right. you know? And, How do I get there? Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, just I can't even imagine what that trombone player might have felt that he just randomly, you know, didn't even wipe off the mouthpiece. <laughs> and then, you know, again, the nicotine ridden. <laughs> Coffee ridden, you right, know, all that caffeine. Right. It's like, ugh, gross. Yeah, you could still smoke back in those days yeah, and on the field or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> but but man, you know, it you know, that those were were very impactful moments for me, you know. And then Nancy Clayton, you know, what you know, she did all the the guard flag stuff, but right. you know, was an excellent percussionist, man, you know, had these wonderful rudimentary skills, but Whenever somebody wasn't getting it in the jazz band, she just like, you know, she was much more nurturing and much more kind, right. but she just like set that drummer aside. This is how it's supposed to sound. And right. she just had this big smile on her face. And, you know, she sounded like Buddy Rich, man. You know, <laughs> I mean, it was amazing, you know. And then, you know, they weren't really performing musicians per se, you right. know, like the gigging local musicians. But, you know, when I made the the transition to Brackenridge, you know, Albert Sandoval was my yeah. band director there. And he, you know, um, had a stint with Paul Elizondo. You know, he he did a lot of work with Paul back in the se- late 70s, early 80s when the band was at its peak. And, right. You know, these guys would work nonstop. And, you know, when, by the time I went to Brack, it was like toward the tail end by the time, that it, you know, he was making his transition out of Paul's band. But, you know, he was an active performer, great guitar player, you know. 
Uh, and he'd pick up his clarinet, you know, and he'd play along with, with the student. You know, he led by example right. as well, you know. And again, those moments were, they made all the difference, you know, and can, you know, like this is what I want to do. This is really what I want to so do. So in high school, did you get what style of music were you were you listening to? Was it because of the jazz program in high school? Did you well, start I, appreciating you know, more jazz? This older trumpet player that I told you about, Jesse Rubio in the neighborhood. You know, I had started to take informal lessons from him in middle school. So he introduced me to Maynard Ferguson. So that was <laughs> okay. that was the gateway situation for for what I thought was jazz. By that time. Uh, in Maynard's career, you know, he was already doing a lot of the crossover stuff like Freddie Hubbard was, you know, doing a lot of instrumental versions of, you know, Michael Jackson, Don't Stop to right. Get in uh, Portuguese Love by, yeah, Dionne Warwick. But His still, yeah, but, you know, it still obviously had that jazz slant. And then through that, you know, he'd, he'd play the Rocky soundtracks, you know, on the other side, you know, Bill Conti, the great composer, you know, of right. all those Rocky films, or at least the first three anyway. Um, and then, you know, getting that exposure, you know, to that side of things and le- I, I played the shit out of Conquistador. Oh, the album. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Play the that's crap a, out of that yeah. Thing, that's man. a big one. Carnival, you know, a lot yeah. of those, those records during the seventies that he did when he was real big on Columbia. But yeah, you know, I mean, that was a gateway. And then through that, you know, I started to do my own independent thing and in high school in, yeah, in high school and into college as well. Right. You, you started to, to break off and do your own thing. Right. You know, just writing. Well, not quite yet. You know, that didn't come until later on in, in college, you know, my undergraduate years, but, uh, you know, in terms of, it's like, man, I had a fascination with Miles Davis. Of course I'd gotten turned on to all the stuff that he was doing in the eighties and nineties, you know, um, and then it went a little further back. It's like, man, you know, this is the straight ahead stuff. This is a different sound from Maynard Ferguson, right. you know, with right. all the, you know, going as far back as his days when he, you know, was first, you know, developing with Charlie Parker in the 40s. And then, you know, the hard bop stuff when he had his own band. But, you know, there was already a reaction, you know, from, you know, this trumpet teacher of mine. He's like, well, why do you want to listen to Miles Davis? He's weird. But, <laughs> you know, and I mean, I love him to death, you know, but it wasn't for him, you know. A lot of my early development, you know, I wouldn't have developed as much as I had had under his tutelage. But you so know, everybody just, everybody has their own, you know, thing right. that guides them, right? right? But you know, there's always something different that sparks a sense of curiosity. Did you take lessons in high school? Well, informally, you know, informally. from from him, you know. Okay. Uh, but I didn't have my first formal lesson until, gosh, 1993 at San Antonio College, you know. But uh, you know, I, I had had a lot of the fundamental things already together, but... Well, because in high school, we think we're the shit. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure, right? We you all know, think we're the there, shit. We're there's like, oh, a, there's a, 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 you know, this, yeah, this sense of pride, you know. You know, it's like, all right, well, we're, we got a great band, or right. I can do this, or I can do that. And, you know, I mean, it was funny because I, I remember, like, my first gig that I actually got paid for, man. It was 1985. I was actually running lights for this band. I think the name of the band was Candilejas. 1985, at this place called Ed's Beer Box. And, you know, this <laughs> my this friend of mine, Jesse Rubio, you know, he's like, all right, we'll start on the C sharp on this note. It was like all, you know, on pieces of notebook paper, all the hieroglyphics. <laughs> and it was Las Nuvas, you know. That's right. one of the first tunes that, you know, the, the, the Tejano National Anthem, you of know. Of course. First you got to know it. Yeah, and then... You know, later on, it's like the break tune that they always use. It turned out it was a great tune by the late organist Jimmy Smith, a great jazz organist called Back at the Chick- the Chicken Shack, you know. Boop, 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 doo, doo. And it's like, wow, I actually 
first played that tune when I was 13 years old, man. And then it's like, here it is, you know, Jimmy Smith, you know, of course, acquiring that knowledge later on, you know, he's one of my favorite musicians, you know, on, in the jazz spectrum of things. Right. But it's like, wow, here it is, you know, playing in this little club on the west side of San Antonio, you know, and those people probably didn't even know in the band that that was written by Jimmy Smith, you right. know, so all these retrospective moments, you know, throughout my career, just kind of thinking back, but yeah, I mean, I, it was, how, I mean, how important are those, are those kind of gigs for, you know, I, I started about when, when I was 15 playing, I played with a, a, a band called TC review when mm-hmm. I was still in high school. And these yeah. are a bunch of older cats who had some fame years ago and they were right. older cats, but I learned so much from them because the old style of music, the old, um, the horn stuff that they they had a horn section right and they were just all older cats and i i was a senior in high school playing with these older cats learning these old songs that i was like yeah oh, these are old songs but looking back it's like i gained so much knowledge from those guys just indirectly without them knowing that they're teaching me yeah that style right those are invaluable experiences you know me you know coming from both sides of the fence you know having all this formal training and then you know there are just certain things that you cannot learn confined in the four corners or four walls of a classroom you know um and you know not to slight any of those scholars that i've had good fortune of studying with but it's its own different thing you know it's a a cultural thing you know that uh that i guess you and i have been fortunate to be immersed in you know i mean and you know like the interesting thing about the the awareness that people need to really know in terms of those of us who have played Tejano you know the other variety whether it's on the countryside or whether right. it's on the soul side or the R&B side you know just all this exposure you know I've always said I've I love playing with Tejano musicians because we have a lot of Tejano musicians are knowledgeable in a lot of different styles because of what they bring into the music uh, I've played with local cats who strictly done nothing local stuff and they have trouble adjusting to variations in music or whatever situation comes up on stage. They have trouble adjusting to that. Right. Where in Tejano music, that's all it is every night is you're going to the top, you're going to the bridge, you're going out, you're doing this, you're, doing, you're following, you're sure. doing, making all these changes in a, in a quick moment. Right, that it requires a high level of intuition. Yeah, yeah. And, and just paying attention yeah. and listening and, and just, you know, knowing your surroundings, which when I was teaching, one of the main things I taught my students was the most important thing you're going to have is your ears because something could change. And if you're just caught in this rut where I need to play this way, you need to play this way, this way, you know, you're not going to, you're going to, it's going to sound bad. So always listen to your surroundings. Sure. And I think Tejano musicians are, are kind of bred into that because of things that do happen right every time on stage with them yeah and you know i mean it's it's definitely a trait like a jazz musician you know i mean and that's what i learned too it's like you know this one great guitar player used to always tell me well i'm a jack of all trades master of none i mean of course that's debatable in a sense i mean depending everybody has different opinions about those outlooks but yeah you know i mean you you know like when i was playing with joe jama you know we we do you know, one of his old original Son Las Cosas de la Vida. And then all of a sudden on a dime, there we are playing, you know, something, you know, some old R&B thing, right. you know, or even like Tony, Tony, Tony or or something like that, you know. <clears throat> so and to be able to adjust and, and, right. and do that, you know. And then, you know, from one tune to the next mm-hmm. instantaneously. No thinking, no thinking, just do it. Yeah. So, <laughs> again, those are those are invaluable experiences. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, I feel bad for the students, you know, these days because 
they're not exposed to a lot of that stuff. You no, know, I, I used to tell my my students, I said, look, what we do here is great. I said, you need to get out there and play. You need to find somebody, either some one of my other students, get together, just play, just sit in a room and mess up together. Yeah, right. <laughs> Go through those experiences sure. of, of of messing up and figuring things out, because that's. To, for me, one of the greatest ways to learn is just to sit down and, or even get on stage and mess up together because it's going to happen. Right. And that's the only way you're going to learn is we fall down. Yeah. I mean, it certainly gave me a lot more confidence because just like you, I mean, there were a lot of situations where I was always the youngest cat learning from all these older guys. Mm-hmm. So then by the time it, it came time to do something that I guess was a little more adventurous, I mean, you know, there's always this insecurity that maybe even in situations like that you've gained some experience but you're trying to do something on your own it seeps it, it kind of seeps in but you know you don't know until you actually do it right. that's the important thing you know just getting out there and taking taking a musical risk so you you're in high school you're you've been turned on the jazz you're you're checking all these uh jazz trumpeters going into college what was your did you have a goal already? Did you kind of... Well, I, I already had a strong inclination that I wanted to be a band director. Okay. And uh, it's interesting that you bring that up because um, as soon as I had graduated from, from, from high school, you know, I think like June had rolled around and I was playing with this variety band called Changes. And Albert Sandoval was the one that got me involved in the band. And uh, uh, he had taken me out I was 18, so he had taken me out, you know, to the St. Mary's Bar and Grill, and that's when I first heard Al Gomez. And, you know, he had played with a lot of these great local players, you know, um, throughout his career. I'm talking about Albert Sandoval, but uh, the band, it was Joe Jama's band. Right. So Joe Jama had Al Gomez. Uh, he had this cat, I think it's based on the West Coast now, Lee Tijerina on the, on the saxophone. Uh Richard Solis was playing drums. Man, he had this huge canary yellow yeah. Tama drum set, man. It was <laughs> wow, man. It was massive. Victor Paredes, the great Victor Paredes, was playing keyboard and guitar. And, uh, you know, that's the first time, I, you know, they played Blue Bossa, this, you know, great jazz standard by Kenny Dorham during the break. And they were burning it as as a samba, you know, and uh, just all these you know, jazz style chords and the improvisation. And these guys are improvising over polkas and stuff like that. And, you know, but I was like, that's what I want to do. That's, that's who I want to sound like. And, you know, the rest is, was, you know, kind of like, wow. And then Al Gomez, you know, became the gateway of, you know, check out these cats, Lee Morgan, the great trumpet player, Lee Morgan, you know, and then, but the local thing too, that he, you know, he stressed the importance of, you know, Charlie McBurney, man, the West side horns, you know, Doug Sam, Sauce Gonzalez, that whole connection, man. So then I kind of, I was still doing a lot of the Tejano, the variety thing and all that, but you know, there was this other thing, man, you know. Tejano was using these cats as well, but Hey, they're into something else too. Yeah, I need to, you I know, need to pick their brains and those, get in there. Yeah, those influences, man, and uh, you know, um, and then of course having the good fortune of studying classically with Jan Roller, the uh, assistant principal trumpet player with the San Antonio Symphony, mm-hmm. and getting that base uh, down in terms of getting you know your scales, getting your technique and all that. And, and, you know, of course, Al had all that background too. You know, he had a formal education. You know, he graduated from UTSA and went on to get a master's degree over at, at uh, Southwest Texas State at the time. But, you know, it's like, well, you know, that's when I first realized it's like, well, I was working part-time at HEB as mm-hmm. well. And, you know, going going to school and playing in a band. 
And then it's like, man, these guys actually, this is all they do. They just play full time. It was just like this epiphany, like, wow, man, I can't believe it. I, you know, thinking that they had day jobs or something like yeah. that, but no, no, man, I used to, you know, I was so obsessed with, you know, just improving. And, you know, I just did a lot of hanging out, man. I would sneak into Salute and uh, a lot of other, you know, that was the place, yeah, St. Mary's, you know, uh, brewing company after you know Huey's went defunct but I was following Joe Jam I was following Al Gomez I was following you know Joe Ravelis Anthony Hernandez you know those dudes I was following right. all those du- those guys around because you know they were not only you know proficient in the Tejano thing but they were proficient in the jazz thing you know right. here and it you is you hear those influences yeah. in the Tejano stuff you know too. they lay down you know Album What El Vote you know and then the next tune is A Night in Tunisia by Dizzy Gillespie <laughs> You know, like back to back, and I was like, "Wow!" You know, and, and what uh, makes you do that? Yeah. Do you, do but I mean, it became so. I be, you know just became so enamored with that. I'm serious, man. I would take off, you know, like get in my car right away during my lunch hour, man, when I was working for H E B, and I would haul over to the St. Mary's strip area and just sit there for 35 minutes or 40 minutes and just kind of check it out, not even worry about eating, and then haul back to work and you know finish the shift or whatever You're like that just but trying to soak up as yeah. much as you could but the old raz you know they're on saint you know in saint paul square the basement club i don't know if you remember that that mm-hmm. joint but yeah it's kind of corner to where you know the alamo depot's at now um and uh all of that but you know joe jama you know had a, a great thing going over there but i used you know, to love hearing joe jama yeah. i used to go to st mary's strip and watch him sing it was like you had a great tone yeah. to his voice. And then, you know, to be able to, you know, to play bass behind himself like that, you know, it takes a lot of, well, I mean, you sing background vocals and yeah, stuff like that. but, but it's rhythmically sometimes it's... Yeah, it's, it's a lot to deal yeah. with, you know. I remember, you know, um, playing with him, you know, we were doing Down to the Nightclub by Tower of Power. You know, you have all these... Rock old legs. Well, it's Saturday night. That's like... Yeah. Wow, are you doing? He's like, man, it's hard, but he, he, he made it. He willed it to happen, man. Right. But, so anyway, yeah. So college, you know, g- getting the best your, of both worlds. Your focus is, is to be a band director once you get to college. First, at first, yeah. At but first. you're still learning, yeah, the stuff you love with jazz, stuff. right? And you know, gaining more experience, you know, branching out, you know, having other opportunities to play with other musicians, and then you know, I made my transition from cutting my teeth in Tejano. And the variety thing, you know, in graduating a little bit and getting in Joe Jama's band, you know, and um, I had done a six month stint with Sonny Ozuna and the Sunliners for a little bit and uh, uh, just kind of running around with Gay Pintor, you know, uh, for yeah, Finding Friday. Friday. You know, we were, you know, we were eventually dubbed by Joe Jama's a body of horns. You know, we had been involved playing together since 1993 with a lot of different projects, recording with folks and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, we recorded with Sexto Soul, but they would call us for for gigs, and you know we did the Hano sessions and stuff like that. But you know we were inseparable for a long while there. And, yeah, you know, and that's the way it is because yeah. I had uh, friends of mine that I played with different bands over yeah. here. They just kind of, hey, we need a bass player. Well, do you need you need a guitar player too? Because I got a guitar. Player. Okay, let's bring him in. That's, yeah, that's the way the circuit. It yeah. still is you right. Know, bringing your buddies. So then going to school, getting that thing, working part-time at H-E-B, and then hanging out, you know, we, uh, La Louisiane. Do you remember the old French restaurant there on Broadway Street? No. Yeah, well, it eventually turned into this club called Jazz for a while. It was like this uh, Louisiana-style deal, but it was over there on Broadway, man, uh, right before Mulberry. It was this old French-style restaurant, but uh, the Regency Jazz Band yeah. had a residency there. 
okay. back during the mid '90s, and you know, they were certain. You know, George Prado, man, the patriarch of the San Antonio jazz scene, man, you know, was hugely responsible for a lot of our development outside of schools. Like, well, come by, learn some tunes, bring your horn, sit in, and get ready for some tough love. So then there was the trend. You You're know, like hell yeah, <laughs> even yeah, even more of a fascination with jazz that way. You know, because. As an old piano player, man, God bless his soul. May he rest in peace. But Joe Piscatelli, man, uh, he was summoned from California to join this residency. And uh, old-style Italian dude, you know, grew up in New Haven, Connecticut, man. And, you know, he just shot straight and let you know that was great. Or, no, you need to work on this, you know. But, you know, situations. I I missed that whole local scene. When you bring up stuff, and I missed the whole local scene because – by the time I was 24, I was already touring. I was traveling, and yeah, and I was like, when I got into the local scene after, I don't know, a few years ago, actually, I was like, man, I missed so much of what was here because I was doing this other thing, and it's just like, I wish I would have had some some seen more musicians because I know there's a there's a ton of badass musicians sure. here in town. Yeah, absolutely. And I was like, man, I I know they're out there. I just wish I would have seen him at an early age when i was yeah. you know, younger i mean right now i'm too old and i don't i don't want to go out <laughs> well i you know it certainly is a shift right but hey man you know to your credit you know again you know, the bass is an in-demand uh, instrument you know and well, you can only have one bass player well that's band. great yeah but i mean i'm you know it's great to your credit man that you got nabbed that early on you yeah, know that, but I, I i so wish because i even playing with albert with uh, the band here the groove doctors and stuff uh he knows so many great musicians. Yeah. I'm, I was always amazed that, you know, if we need a, a this player, this player, he's, oh, I know a cat. He comes in, the, the cat he brings in, just playing the, his ass off. I'm like, sure. How do you know this guy? He's yeah. Like, from this and that. I was like, yeah. I, I missed all that. I, yeah. I missed that whole part. I wish, I know there are a lot of great musicians out there today, uh, older cats and younger cats. My son is real involved with the local circuit in his age bracket, I guess you right. could say. Um, so yeah, I, I wish I would have uh, had some of those experiences. Yeah, uh, so as, your your, as, your son Julian. Yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. I, well, he was under. Yeah, under yeah, that was great, man. I mean, but again, do your credit, man. You know, chip off the old block in a sense. I mean, he was one of the more ambitious students I remember having the good fortune to teach. You know, he's, during that time, so. he's come a long way. Yeah, he's, that's great. And uh, he does a lot of local things, like three or four different bands now. But he's doing the local circuit, yeah. working. Doing a podcast, he does like two podcasts that he has. Wonderful. We share we share this one, yeah. Um, but his segments are in the local scene, and mine's on the cats that I know, or right. you know, you know. So going into college, you're, you're when do you um, when do you get your certificate to teach, and when do you yeah? What's so your first school, man. So I, you know, I took my time. You know, I mean, it took me six and a half with no breaks, man. Even with summer school, but. Took me six and a half years to finally earn my yeah, my bachelor's degree. You're you're going to school. You're yeah. you're working. You're yeah. gigging. You're out. And then you know, there's all those other distractions. You of know, course. you know. Of I mean, course. you know, nothing more needs to be said about that. I know you understand. You know, but um, you know, the party element and all that stuff. But anyway, so wait, I wait, wait, musicians party. Last I heard, anyway. But yeah, you know, all of that stuff. You know, just gaining all this experience and. Then I finally graduated in December of 96 from UTSA, you know, and I got a teaching certification. I was like, all right, man, you know, get out there and teach. But, you know, by the time, you know, I had done an interview with the Northeast Independent School District about a possible opening, but it was just all a formality, man. They already had somebody in mind, but they just had to get a pool of applicants just to make it seem valid. But so 
and plus it's in the middle of a year. You know, usually you yeah. you can't fill job positions in the middle of a school year. Since I was a, a fall graduate, um, I was like, okay, well, I ended up getting my f- first teaching experience uh, through a great trumpet player friend of mine, Rob Meyer, uh, who also played locally with all like hats around here in town. But uh, he turned me on to a situation where I was teaching master classes in the Judson Independent School District. Oh, okay. So that was kind of my first thing out of the gate in the fall of, or the spring of 97, you know, January. Right. I got this gig. Uh, a couple of days out of the week, they would bus all these middle school kids from Kirby and, uh, I mean, it all was the, a, the feeder school. Yeah, the feeder, right, the middle school. So Kirby and Kitty Hawk were the only two middle schools at the time. And they were bustling because, you know, Judson was already overpopulated mm-hmm. even back then, you know, in the early 90s. But uh, they would bust these kids over to the gray, the old gray campus, you know, uh, right. that was a freshman, sophomore campus. And it was a great after school program. So kudos to whoever, had, you know, provided the funding for something like that at the time. So I started to gain experience doing that at, you know, and then, you know, just doing various teaching things here and there while I was still playing. And by that time, I was able to actually quit working at HEB, you know, because I was already able to support myself full time i was working right. five nights five six nights yeah. a week with joe jama and other different bands and let me touch on that i'm gonna go back to yeah. your first teaching experience sure let me touch on that you're making a living as a musician now when i i semi-retired two years ago when i got a job right. quote unquote a job mm-hmm. right and i'm happy with my job um but when i first got this job i have i've never really worked in my 30 some odd years i've always been a musician right when i got this job i thought well, this is easy. <laughs> this yeah. is a lot easier than, you know, not knowing whether they're going to get paid for a gig or, yeah. or, you know, the gig falls through or something happens, right. you lose equipment, whatever the case may be. Yeah. Not knowing, you know, you're responsible for yourself in that as a sure. musician. It's the, it's the hustle, man. Right. Right. And so yeah. when I got this job, I was like, well, this is the easy part. I don't know what you, I don't know what you people who have jobs complain about because go do what I do. You know, right. that's it. It's fun. Mm-hmm. But it's also the hardest thing that I've had to do sure. in my life is, is Absolutely. to be dependent on on the music because right. it's not always it's not reliable, right? Yeah, <laughs> that form. The, 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 the demand for that isn't always there. You're right, right? Yeah. So you're working a musician. How, how I mean, how yeah. are the ups and downs as a as a working musician? Well, again, you know, just uh, having to deal with just like you said, the possibility of a cancellation or you know weather, you know, becomes a factor. Oh, we didn't make no money at the door, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it be, it quickly becomes these passion projects where it's, you know, <laughs> and, you know, it's like, you know, you'd think that you'd be rewarded to try to be as creative as possible. But, you know, in this society, that unfortunately, does it doesn't work in, right. in, in our favor as creatives to <laughs> to do that. But, I just want to touch on that because no, I know yeah. I know that, uh, you know, pe- people people think that being a musician is all stage and glamour and yeah. partying time. And, and it is for the most part, but there's a whole other side to it. That people don't know about. Well, yeah, they don't. They don't account for all the, the countless hours that you're spending individually for one game. Yeah, <laughs> or you know, just the path of improvement overall right. to make that one not only that one gig, but any other gig that you right. do. You know, you you hone your craft, you improve your skills. You Plus know, the so maintenance that, of your of your your equipment, yeah. your your horn, and this is yeah. it's expensive. Yeah, you know? of course. I'm sure you got a nice horn too. Well. You gotta gotta protect the investment, right? Exactly. You know that's that's important. Yeah, that's why I always buy cheap shit. I buy <laughs> I buy cheap shit because if it breaks, I'll go buy another one. So I've never really, even when I had like high dollar instruments, I hated playing them. I just I was always afraid something's gonna happen to them. 
I'd have them on stage and just constantly watching it. I was like, oh, no, something's going to happen to it. That's why I buy 300 My first base was $300. Right. Uh, this other base, the black base that I have there, I got it on a trade, mm-hmm. so it didn't cost me anything. I have another base that's $300 that I I don't. I used to own expensive stuff. Yeah, I sold them. I just right. got rid of them. I, just me personally. Yeah, I've you know I've I've ruined I've ruined a, quite a few horns. You know, and again, you know, since I'm a wind player, you know, you got to keep the horn protected from the inside as well. And you know, you could you know tacos and you know <laughs> yeah the taco grease inside beer of and no, I mean that that affects it. I mean, you know, you're a brass player, right. man. You know, right. I'm sure you're remembering. You know, you gotta you gotta take care take care of the investment. It's like anybody. Anytime anybody offers me something to eat during the break or whatever, it's like, man, thanks, but no thanks, man. I gotta wait till it'll be coming out of my spit valve. Yeah, I can't. Yeah, I can't. Can't afford to feed the horn, man. I gotta take care. All right. So going back to your teaching, uh, what was your first official teaching job? Okay, so my first official teaching job didn't come until 2001. I was late, man, to, to to the game in every aspect, you know. I graduated, you know, with my undergrad degree when I was twenty, geez, twenty three years old, and then, um, you know, waited a while. But I mean, that's the thing. I, I I couldn't find a job. I decided, well, I'm gonna go. To, I want to go to grad school, and you know, so I enrolled at Southwest Texas State University okay. in 1997. So from 1997 to 1999, they couldn't really find anything that would fit what i wanted to do you know i was I wanted to you know be a better jazz musician and stuff like that so the graduate advisor says well most of our jazz since we don't have a jazz major most of them are in composition so i had you know our was already starting to get encouraged by folks about like well, when are you going to start writing arrangements you have the year for it and stuff like that so i took a huge plunge man you know when i did that and you know my advisor there at texas state said well composition is going to be the best thing for you. I know you probably don't have very much writing experience, but I'll teach you. Don't worry. You'll be okay. And this guy, you know, Russell Reapy, man, he's a graduate of East, the Eastman School of Music, man. He went to school with John Williams. You know, he's a contemporary of John Williams um, at the time. But anyway, you know, here it is. You know, I'm learning to write in the 20th century style. And, I'm, boy, it was a huge, you know, ear opener and then you know getting experience in the jazz band just becoming a better sight reader so a lot of people think oh well, when you go to grad school you don't really learn anything it's just a paper chase and that's all bull man you know i guess it just depends on your own individual experience and how much you have the desire to get well, something out of who it. you're under too yeah I mean, that's a big yeah a big deal too so there were a lot of cats that were gigging around and stuff like that and uh you know that was just served as extra motivation so i did all that I didn't quite finish because I was a teaching assistant as well, and I didn't plan properly, you know, to get all my oral examinations, you know, you know, taken care of to study for all of that. So I ended up getting a, a, a cruise ship gig, you know. Really? Yeah. So from, you know. Oh, I'm so jealous. You know, well, you well, know, again, <laughs> again there's all, all the behind the scenes things <laughs> right. that make it like, oh, this you're seeing a beautiful part of the world. I was in the Caribbean you know, from July or June of 1999 to December of 1999, signed a six-month contract and, you know, got to see a beautiful part of the world and stuff like that for a while and, uh, you know, was honing my craft in that regard. And it's like, all right, well, I learned how to, you know, to be an effective band leader. Mm -hmm. And I was doing some arranging and I was doing some composing when I was on the boat. So it spurred that that other dimension of, of musicianship. And then I came back, worked music retail for a little while, you know, was with the old Mars Music as learning, right. the learning center director there, you know, and overseeing all the private lesson business side of things. Uh, 
with that and still actively performing and arranging and all that, staying busy. But then 2001, fall of 2001 is when I got my first teaching position at Rhodes Middle School. Okay. So right there in the heart of the West Side, man. And uh, Welcome home. Oh, man. <laughs> it was that, you know, was, you know. Middle school, too. Yeah. Oh. But, you know, it was rough. You know, that was the technology academy. So you had some really talented kids that were, they were enrolled, but. You know, and I don't want to slam the situation, no, but you know, there's just some rough kids. It's a rough yeah. area, man. You know, yeah. a lot of little gang banging kids, man. And you know, for your first, yeah. <laughs> so it was, you know, my first for, first week out of the gate, man. Some kids stole my cell phone, man, and you know, eventually put it back after school, you know, where they stole it from. But man, it's like, all right, welcome to the scene here, wow. man. And you know, I did a big fundraiser with the world's finest chocolate, and they broke into my office and stole the money, and they were. <laughs> But listen, man, you know, despite all these negative experiences, man, that I made it through. I, yeah. I, I, you trudge through and, you know. But even in a circumstance like that, you have your kids that are the good ones. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's usually only a few. Even, even, even a few were enough to make the difference about, man, don't give up, man. Yeah. You know, you can, if you can make it through, you know, and I, I had a lot of great peers and a lot of older mentors that were very encouraging. It's like, hey, that's. You're going to have your hands full. It's a rough part of town. It's a rough situation. You're by yourself. In this day and age, a lot of middle school programs, they, you know, they, there's the head director and there's assistants. But, man, it was overwhelming because I had to teach everything. You know, I had to yeah. teach the woodwinds. I had to teach right. brass, percussion, everything, man. And, uh, you know, I had this audio production class where I was teaching kids how to make beats and stuff and, like that. And you're their first experience to music. Yeah. You're, you're that critical director that, right. that's going to mold this student to whether he wants to keep yeah. playing in high school so just, well it's, and, you know it, it, it's crazy you know you're the example right and you know you're supposed to be the best musician there but you know not full you know that's all talk about on on the job training man it was really overwhelming man and uh but stick stick it out you know just it, it, i made it through man and then all of a sudden <laughs> there was an opening at jefferson high school you know in 2002 it, and they were the fine arts academy at the time and you know uh, that was another wonderful experience, you know, having to, you know, getting a chance to work with a lot of these, you know, really talented kids from all around the district, man, right. these magnet students. And even, even if they were non-magnet, just the local folks, you know, from, you know, that would fed in from Horace Mann right. or Longfellow, you know, uh, there was just a huge talent pool to work with, but man, you know. Uh, I was I was working eighty hour weeks during marching season. Oh you know, after a football game, I'd lock. But did they steal your phone? No, okay. uh, well, you know, that. there's there, there is the outside element, <laughs> of course. You know, but but it was you know where I was working. I was still relentless, man, in terms of of my performance opportunities, man. I was still playing quite. But you were active. still gigging yeah, while you were absolutely, oh, yeah. God. You know, usually a lot of you know just the because teaching te element. Teachers put yeah, a lot of hours as exactly. it is, and then, especially high school band yeah. directors, man. You know, during marches season, especially. But I remember yeah. after a football game, we had a great booster program. And those kids would make sure that all the kids got picked up. I'd lock up the band hall and go play two sets of a salsa gig <laughs> at, uh, at uh, you know, Rosario's right, or, right. you know, uh, Asuka or something like that. But that was just, that was still was just important to me, man. It's like, you know, I need to be the best musician I can here for these students. So, and I need to practice what I preach because it's a right. performance-based art. So, you know, vamonos, man, let's do it, man, you know, and, uh, you know, just keep up with with the chops and then you know during that time i was starting to get a lot more involved in the jazz scene you know there's a great drummer that's now based in new york jerry gibbs you know we 
We had uh, weekly things that we'd program over at Carmen's de la Calle when it was located off of Mistletoe. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'd do things, you know, Miles Davis, Bitches Brew Orchestra Project, uh, the Art Ensemble of Chicago that's more avant-garde. So I was starting to get exposure to all these different facets under the jazz umbrella. And then we started a big band together. But I was the one, since I had the education, you know, I was the one that had to put all these parts together. Right. So I was just, you know, uh, forced, in a sense... To really develop that side of things. Did and, you ever get burnt out? Uh, you know, it's funny that you asked that. I guess it just probably made me more driven. You know, I mean, it's it was probably really dumb to because I've had a couple take, of occasions in, my, in yeah. my career where I just like I'm done. Yeah, I, I need to take a step away. Yeah, from I, I, you know, it was hard for me to say no to a lot of things. Man. Yeah, as a musician, you, know? you, yeah. you can't say no. No's a a bad word. You always say yes, and then so, you figure out how to do the gig later. <laughs> you know, while, while a lot of these opportunities, maybe you know, like I said, we talked about the passion project. They didn't maybe they didn't pay very much, but. But still, man, what the experience that I gained in, you know, in in terms of all these musicians that I was involved with, especially right. on the jazz side, man, because you know, San Antonio was a well kept secret in terms of, you know, there's a lot of great jazz musicians mm-hmm. around here. But, you know, th- that experience was invaluable. You know, that led to other future opportunities right. that I was able to to deal with. You know, but uh, you know, all that was happening. Did grad school, did the teaching thing for a while. You know, from uh, 2001 to 2011. You eventually transitioned back to middle school, you know, in the Southside district, you know, was still performing a lot. Uh, and then and that's when I was like, well, I hadn't really been writing for a long time. You know, I had to put, I put the pen down for a while because I was helping a lot of other people with other different projects and, mm-hmm. st- and stuff like that. I was like, man, there's still something left to learn. I was 39 at the time and I, you know, it had always been a pipe dream for me to go back to school for a doctorate degree. I was going to ask you, when was, when was your decision? To, yeah. To- so, it was probably around 2009, 2010 where, you know, I just had to have a hard talk with myself and say, look, you're not getting any younger. And, uh, you know, it's probably going to be a situation where you're going to have to make the commitment and, you know, you have to quit everything that you're doing right. and you have to go up there and fulfill the residency full time. And that's exactly what, what happened, you know. But I told my colleague, I was like, man, this is really what I'm thinking about doing. I'm just going to prepare you because if I do get accepted, then I, I'm not going to be here anymore. So, um but and I apologize for not calling you Doctor Reese. No, Reese. don't worry, <laughs> about it. it's all right. But uh, um, I, uh, you know, just took the plunge. I went through the application process, and I, you know, the old me emerged. You know, in terms of you know, just really shedding and shedding, and you know, just practicing and just trying to get all you know myself together. You know, in terms of this audition, because so so to get the, the doctorate, what was your primary so focus? I was I was planning on doing it as a jazz performance major so mm-hmm. my degree it's a doctor of musical arts in jazz trumpet performance okay. so knowing all the requirements you know having all that laid out and then the audition process and it's a highly competitive program over there and uh you know you're having to compete you know there's limited spots so there was a, a, a vacancy for a trumpet performance guy you know having to compete with a lot of these other applicants, you know, from around the country. I was going to say from all over the country, right? To do that. And, I mean, it's a pinch myself moment because here it is, you know, we're down, I think, you know, we're we're down-home dudes, man, you know, growing up in San Antonio and, you know, not even, I didn't really give it a thought until my wife, my wife, it told me, you know, when I graduated, you know, there was a statistic that was given that you're part of a very small percentage of people that were actually able to get in. And sometimes it's like, you know, you don't think about those things because you're too busy 
you know, maybe there's a fear factor involved. Like this is what I have to do to get things done. Right. And you don't think about all these other outside factors about these statistics. No, man, you know, you know, you're immersed. You're, you're, you're just looking in the forward, trenches, trying to get to trying that, to, that yeah, point right there in front of you. Right. Trying to get everything done. But, but you know, so I, I auditioned and fortunately I, I gained acceptance. And then, so I moved to Austin, you know, and I, you know, was in Austin from 2011, 2015. So then I think the one thing, Again, the experience, there's never any replacement for experience because a big factor of me earning acceptance to, to that program was my teaching experience because right. I was also a graduate teaching assistant there as well, conducting the jazz ensemble and, you know, running jazz combos and stuff like that and, uh, you know, teaching a, some applied jazz trumpet as well. But uh, all the while, not being relentless and gaining a lot more experience, I hadn't recorded so much in my life between that period of time between th- 2011 and 2015 and then you know playing you know five nights a week during doing that you know right. i had a nice fellowship and i had that you know the income you know in terms of of you know teaching as an assistant over there but still these opportunities not relenting and you know meeting all these different people and having all these different opportunities and, it's all about meeting people yeah. i tell that to i tell that to musicians i said look young musicians i said look you gotta be able to play for one yeah. That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. A lot of people can play. You have to make, you have to network yeah. because so many gigs are provided or come to you because of who you know. Right. You know, the the playing part's almost secondary because there's a lot of great cats that can't play. Yeah. Oh, it's how you get in with meeting sure. people, networking, and getting out there and getting to those, those jam sessions or right. just playing with whoever you and, can get an opportunity and, to play and, with. And that's what I did. You know, 2011, first opportunity I had, you know, I just my apartment wasn't even unpacked. It was still in boxes, but this guitar player friend of mine picked me up straight away as soon as I moved everything in, and we hung out, just did the hang, and then that following Monday, went to the Elephant Room jam session, man, and religiously, probably for about six months, and then the work started to come in, you know, because you do the hang, you yeah. know, you network, you make those yeah. connections. They may not pay, but they pay in another way. That's, yeah. that's, that's the thing. So, yeah, because of that experience too. And that's when, you know, another, uh, colleague of mine or peer of mine, rather, you know, he was a comp jazz comp major, but also a gifted trumpet player. He's like, when are you going to do your own thing, man? You got your own voice. I think you're ready. You know, I hadn't really led my own band, and this is, like I said, 2011, 2012 at So this when time. did you get your doctorate? So I got my doctorate in uh, 2014. Okay. But it was, again, during that that time, there was a formative learning experience in terms of forming my right. own band, you know? He's, you got a voice, man. You got to do this thing, man. You know, because he was leading his own group and, you know, doing a lot of different projects. He goes, you put your own thing together. So I finally mustered up enough courage to do that. And, you know. Putting said, a band together. Yeah, putting a band, put the group together. Right. And, and then, you know, there it is, 2011, 2012. And how did you put your band together? Well, uh, you know, you're surrounded by the people that you most frequently are affiliated with. Right. And that was during school. So, you know, the the drummer, the bass player, the saxophone player, and uh, so, the, I'm sorry, let me do this in order. The sax player uh, was about to finish his degree when I started, but I had already played with him. And I you know, was just, you know, attracted to what he was doing musically. The bass player and I were in school together, and then the drummer and I were in school together. The piano player was outside of school. But anyway, you know, just those ties through school. Right. And we had gotten together, and we went through different phases, you know. We started out as a Blue Note kind of tribute situation, you know, because I also had to fulfill partial requirements by putting on recitals. Mm-hmm. So we got that material tied, and then we eventually transitioned to our late 60s Miles Davis Bitches Brew phase. So that fusion thing and 
doing all of that and then you know transition to doing originals that's when i decided well i'm gonna write that all that those covering other places comes into play when you're writing stuff i mean it to me is like if you're working together as a group doing this and then doing this and when you finally develop your own style well all that's going to come together and make a difference in absolutely absolutely yeah you know all in all the influences that we each bring in right and you know it's like this huge melting pot and uh you know and uh so your your first cd the adrian ruiz quintet right premiere a collection of originals um the ride this is all written by you no not not just by me you know by every member of the band okay. so i wrote three out of the 10 compositions on there that the saxophone player the bass player and the piano player each respectively wrote two tunes and the drummer contributed one so each one of the members in the band is not only an outstanding musician in their own right, but they also have that extra added element, you know, to be able to compose as well. So, so tell me about your writing process because I know, for me, I would think an instrumental is almost harder to write because, uh, you know, you look at contemporary pop music or country music, any kind of music that has a vocalist, you express your feelings through words. Right. You tell the people what you want them to hear. You tell them the story through your words. As an intr- instrumentalist. How do you go about writing or expressing your story I think through it, a melody? It might be the same process because I learned something a long time ago, like a lot of the jazz greats, especially when they're interpreting ballads or boleros, uh-huh. you know, if it's that style of music, you know, you learn the words, you, you, you know, you listen to the great singers, you know, I mean, that's the melodic process of it. So right. that was kind of ingrained in me in a sense that, you know, you want to try to be as melodic as you possibly can. You know, so you get a nice melody and then you figure out what goes on harmonically and you figure out the chords and stuff like that underneath it. Or the reverse, you know, I find a set of chords, you know, I guess it just varies depending on the inspiration at the time. But, you know, there are times where the well is dry, right, concerning creativity. (laughs) And then there are other, other times in your development where, you know, your compositional phases where it's like, man, you can't get the ideas on paper fast enough, you know, so... I you know just draw from different sorts of you know inspiration in the moment you know uh what what am I drawn to in the moment you know what what am I into is it something on the news that's forced me to write something you know that might be reactionary to right. to something but and how do I create that yeah or you know just sonically through instrument right and then you know or just something like well you know just my wife you know we we've, we've been married you know for a little over 2 years but you know just you know, I, I love this person. You know, this person, you know, is just brings me so much joy. And she's done so many great things to push me in my development. Because she's, she's a pretty savvy, savvy businesswoman herself, you know. But it's, you know, just this gratefulness, you know, just being grateful in the moment. And, and something just, you just get inspired to write something in homage to somebody that you love. So. And I always, I always find it interesting because as an instrumentalist or even uh, symphonic music or symphony music, um, you're you're not told what to feel you're not told like country music oh my wife left me my left me you know my car broke down isn't that you're told what to feel right and in any kind of jazz or or orchestrated symphony music you're not told what to feel you have everybody's different everybody's going to come out away from a song instrumental an instrumental song with a different feeling sure a different expression of what they felt when they when they heard that right and that's to me even i don't want to say better but it's a different experience music where I get while pop music is important because you can relate to it right away. Yeah. 
instrumentalist, you kind of have to listen to it. And it's like, well, what does that make me feel? Or you right. know, a certain line will make you angry. And You're right. It, it does. Like the highest compliment that I, I think I've ever gotten, you know, this one tune I told you I wrote for my wife, it's called Cancion Para Mi Amor. And there are people, you know, uh, singers or even other instrumentalists, you know, they've said, man, that's such a beautiful melody. Have you ever thought about lyrics to it? You know, so that's the highest compliment that one as an instrumentalist can receive because say there are there are lyrics well you know <laughs> right here when yeah, you hear it it's <laughs> right so i mean but i was definitely thinking from a lyrical standpoint when i put that melody together and i'm glad that it stand you know it stood out and it's made that much of an impact to a person to ask you know i mean on more than one occasion you know it's the highest compliment that i that one can get you know that as an instrumentalist right. for that. But yeah, and, you know. It's even like seeing, I guess, like if you were to watch an opera and you don't know the language, mm-hmm. you can still be touched by what's being sung yeah. because it's still a melodic line. It's the passion, you know, behind mm-hmm. it as well. You know, just, uh, you know, you and I both have a, a wealth of experiences, you know, on our own, you know, just dipping into all these different uh, inf- these influences, mm-hmm. you know, from Marvin Gaye to Roberto Pulido, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, that's a wide gamut, oh, yeah. you know. Well, I grew up, my, my mom used to listen to uh, like Top 40 and Motown. Mm-hmm. My dad listened to Conjunto. My grandfather listened to Country. So I was always around those people and my, my grandma listened to uh, Trios and, and yeah. old uh, Mariachi. And right. Music. So I had a, I did have a wide variety because just directly my personal my close family yeah had all these different influences that i was taking in and yeah. didn't realize it when i was growing up yeah. so and then you know the the family gatherings or the parties you know with, with parents yeah. parents friends but but may, maybe not you know i mean there were you know you go to maybe it's a a gathering on a sunday at a bar or you know or something like right. that you know they have the jukebox man right. you know where they got you know fats domino in there man yeah. aside from whatever other tejano might be on the jukebox but yeah you know that's where you get it, you know, where we got it too, you know, yeah. in some sense. So, so I always find that uh, doing something like this is is uh, very rewarding, even though I've never actually put anything out solo myself. I've been a part of a lot of projects where, well, with Emilio, I recorded, I don't know, seven CDs. So a lot of that stuff was taken from me, arranging and, and coming up with licks and stuff like that. Right. So what, um, did you record it all at once? It was live. So it's all live, all live. See, I yeah, dig, I dig that. Yeah, because, well, you know, well. it is, it is jazz, um, and uh, but you know, it was just you know by this by the time we went into the studio in August of last year, in August 2016, we had already this particular unit. You know, we're still a working unit. You know, we had been working together probably for about two and a half, three years. So, a lot of this material had been developed in rehearsals. We used to, would rehearse relentlessly, and then. You know, having the the bandstand experience, you know, putting all this stuff together, and I just decided, well, I know I'm taking a big risk because you know I'm going to do this independently. You know, it's my, you know, I started my own independent record label. You know, oh, okay, yeah, I so mean, you know, just is, to protect all that stuff. Yeah. Just, but uh, anyway, you know, it's just it's time. It's high time. You know, I might not have the funds available, but you know, thank goodness for my supportive wife because that's important. You know, she's like, go and do it. I mean, you know, I mean, I'm probably you know, going to lose my ass on it, you know, but I mean, at least it's documented. It's out there. You right. know, I mean, I've, I've had a good, you know, fortunately I've had some really positive uh, feedback on it and had some great CD sales. And also, you know, it's been doing pretty good on streaming, you know, whether it's iTunes, Apple music and all that stuff, but you know, you just, you just got to take a chance, man. You know, not everybody exactly. has the opportunity 
to get picked up by a major record label. And even then, you know, it, I mean, I'm it, glad that it's, it, it, it went this route because, you know, we have ownership over the music. Yeah, you know? but even major record labels, it's it's a crapshoot with that. Yeah, so, it's You tough. get so screwed with those labels. Yeah. I, I've seen a lot. Yeah. But, but it was just, no. you know, a leap of faith, you yeah. know, just like anything Sometimes you got to do it, right? Yeah, so we just decided, you know, let's do it. You know, I mean, we're already in this phase where we're playing original music, you know. We can do a whole, you know, evening of, of, you know, jazz standards if we chose to, but we can also do a whole evening of original music if we wanted to. What's and next for you? Well, I mean, I'm just going to try to see if I can push the record as hard as I can. You know, it's still it's still fresh out of the bin, so to speak. You know, It came out in May, right? Yeah, it came out in May. So going to try to push that and, get, hell, if we can get involved in a, in a jazz festival somewhere, you know. Um, I, you know. Do you have management or anything like that? No. Well, there you go. Yeah. If any managers out there want to pick them up. What's a good song from here? To, uh, I, I do want to play a song on the podcast. Okay. If I were to pick one song, what, what would you want me to well, play? Well, I mean, I hate to be biased, but, you know, I mean, this <laughs> this, this tune will, will show off a lot of the guys in the band, but I'd have to say the opening track, Elvenism, you know, okay. that's a, a tune that I wrote in dedication. The name? Yeah. Elvenism was inspired by the the drummer that played with John Coltrane back in uh the nineteen sixties when John Coltrane has classic quartet it was inspired by Elvin Jones, the drummer of the band. And okay. uh the drummer that recorded on this, Daniel DeFore, uh it's a dedication to him as well because he, you know, just really takes that style and makes it his own, you know. So uh, you know, obviously as musicians we're influenced by what we've listened to, but you know, it's just this one thing. It's called it's a pattern called the Elvin Mambo. It's kind of a Latin based deal. Um, uh, in terms of what's going on on the drum set, but you know, he just embodied that thing so much. A, a melody just came in my mind, and you know, I just kind of wrote it around him, just inspired by his way of playing the drums, and that's how that tune came about. Cool, Doctor Adrian Ruiz, Ruiz. Let me see that right. Thank you so much for joining us. Of course, thanks I for having me. It, man. Thank if you. I have this pain doctor in my side. Can you help me with that? <laughs> no. <laughs> Thank you so much. Man. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank man. you, brother. Thanks for having me. Where can they find you on the internet, real quick? Okay, so if you know anybody's interested in kind of checking out what I'm doing, I can be found at Adrian G Ruiz. That's A D R I A N G R U I Z Music dot com. There'll be links in the in some of the podcast releases and in the show notes. Uh, actually, the podcast notes, not the show notes. You can find the the link there to to find him. And on Facebook, we're going to find you, so they can poke you. Yeah, uh, yeah. Facebook dot com or backslash. Do you have a band page? Uh, I don't have a band page. Okay. I, I have a personal page, okay. and I do Twitter. I do Instagram, and I have a YouTube page. But you know, also on the website, there's a link to all the social yeah. media stuff as cool. well. All right, thank you, Doctor Adrian. Thank you, thank you, Julian. Appreciate it.
Thank you for listening to the Texas Music Spotlight Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and visit our website, texasmusicspotlight.com, to find out how you can be a part of the live recordings. Until next time, please continue to support local artists and music in your hometown. Hometown.